WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and happy holidays from Spooky South Ghost. Tim Weisberg here, along with the asylum assassin, Matt Costa, and science advisor, Matt Moniz. How are you guys tonight? Fine. Matt, yourself, I know you're busy over there. I'm doing all right. Are you As ready always. for the uh, the holiday season here? Um, we'll find out. Get all your shopping yeah. done? No. Is that where you're going right after the show? Maybe. So you're glad that we're on in prime time tonight, 6 p.m. start, while, uh, while uh, we have to give way to NFL football in our regular time slot. Now, just as a programming note, next week we will not be on the air on the 29th because uh, the Patriots are taking over WBSM for the entire day. They'll be uh, in the quest for, for perfection, most likely. And uh, we'll be back. We're hoping to try to put something together for New Year's Eve. Uh, if not, we'll definitely be back in January. Just stay tuned to SpookySouthCoast.com, and we'll have updates as to what time we're going to be on because the NFL playoffs are going to be on Saturday nights, and it's going to make things all hectic and crazy. And then once the Super Bowl's over, then we'll get like a month where we can be in our regular time slot before we have to step aside for baseball. So such is the South life Coast, of Spooky South Coast, yeah. That's your fault. Didn't you pick this time slot, Costa? Uh, oh, I'm pretty sure that was me. I think it was a collaborative effort. Yeah, like, <laughs> we're not really that cool. We don't have much to do on Saturday nights. And then look at all the stuff that comes up. So uh, we have a great holiday theme show for you, kind of, in a way. Uh, we have the author of a new book called The Star of the Magi. Her name is Courtney Roberts, M.A. She is a writer, teacher, and consultant originally from Miami, Florida. Her work reflects a unique perspective, a real passion for the big picture, combining cosmology, religious studies, and history with a lifetime of observing the dynamic interaction of man and the cosmos. She's a graduate of the Revolutionary Master's Program in Cultural Astronomy and Astrology at Bath Spa University in England, where she studied with leaders in the field like Dr. Nick Campion, Dr. Patrick Curry, and Dr. Michael York. There she developed her specialization in the role of astrology and religion, particularly Persian Zoroastrianism and Western monotheism. An avid traveler and world citizen, her fascination with Celtic culture, the language, music, and history has kept her overseas for years, living in Ireland and Britain, while her Buddhist studies led her to extended residence in Asia. She currently maintains a busy schedule lecturing and teaching to audiences of every persuasion on both sides of the Atlantic. And she, we, we finally locked her down into one location tonight. Good evening, Courtney. How are you doing? Well, good evening, Tim. I'm doing fine. How are you? We're spooktacular, as we okay. like to say here. So uh, you, all this world traveling, I, I hope you get to have a nice, quiet family holiday. That's exactly what I'm having. I'm, I'm down in Florida with the family and, and very, very happy to be here. Well, we're very glad to have you. Uh, when, when I first received a notification of your book, I was like, hmm, you know, it's, Christmas is coming up. It sounds like a good time to try and tie this in, but I don't know how I feel about, you know, astrology and, and just that in general, it, to me, it's always been something I've kind of seen as something on the fringe that I haven't quite delved into. When I started reading the book, I realized I was totally wrong, because the book is just a great, first of all, it's a great historical account of, of what life was like in the centuries before Jesus' birth, and you get an idea of what the world view was when he, when he came to this earth, and just the stuff that you talk about is 
it makes sense to me, which generally, you know, the, the westernized version of astrology that we use today, to me, it's a, a lot of mumbo-jumbo, but this, this stuff I can actually identify with. Well, I'm, I'm really happy to, to hear you say that, and, and by the way, thank you for the kind words. <laughs> um, but, but you're right. We have this, you know, modern pop idea of astrology it's all about you know sun sign columns and leo you're magnanimous and generous you must marry a sagittarius um and and that's just a very recent kind of version of it uh, in in matthew's time and in jesus's time certainly um astrology was a, a very high calling it represented the best of science it represented the best of religion and you know cosmology and the idea of time um so they had a a very different uh, perspective and take on on the whole thing and uh, i think it is a real eye-opener when you know modern people move out of our modern mindset and and start to see the world through their eyes now your book deals with uh of course the gospel of matthew which is where we hear the story of the magi and the star but right from the beginning, uh, you you come very clear with, you know, whoever Matthew was, whoever wrote this text, uh, clearly had an agenda in what they were writing. And why don't you just set up for everybody uh, just what the world was like at the time and, and what kind of slant would be given to that? Well, um, that, that's a, a very good question. And I think whenever we read um, the Gospel of Matthew and the story about the, the Magi and their star in the Gospel of Matthew... You know, we, we do have to ask um, who's writing it and, and who is he writing it to and, you know, why would he see the kind of things that he's saying? Um, I, 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 when, I, when I refer to the author of the Gospel of, of Matthew, you know, we, we're not 100% sure um, who this person was. Sure. Uh, you know, the, the document has a, a rather long history and, and it probably, it, you know, in, in my opinion, scholars argue over this, but... In my opinion, I think it did start out as a collection of sayings of Jesus that somebody very close to Jesus collected, someone who was able to read and write and spent a lot of time with Jesus. Um, and that could very well be this fellow that uh, we know from the Gospels, um, named Matthew. He's also called um, Levi in other places. And he was the, um, the famous tax collector that was sitting at the table collecting the taxes. You know, he's a very evil person and in Judea, because he was collecting taxes for, for the Romans, and Jesus called him, and uh, this fellow left his taxes, left his table, and followed Jesus. Um, so that's who uh, is claimed as the original author of this document. Um, when we think about, you know, why was he writing this story, this gospel, what was his intention? Well, he was trying to convert people to his way of thinking um, about Jesus Christ. He was trying to win new converts to Christianity. So, you know, it's kind of like the gospel was an advertisement or a propaganda piece in our modern terms um, for Christianity. Now, the, the next question is, who was he writing to? The, and this is very important. He was uh, very obviously writing to his fellow Judeans, first century Judeans, and, and early Christian converts. And one of the reasons we're fairly sure about this is because he catches everything he says in very Judean terms. He, he um, always refers anything Jesus says or does back to some supposed prophecy in the Old Testament as a way of proving that Jesus fulfills the prophecy. He talks about Jewish law all the time. He talks about 
the Sabbath and, you know, all these nitpicky Jewish religious issues that wouldn't have meant that much to any other audience. So so that's his intended audience, and, and that's his, um, his intended message, is to win them over to his way of thinking about the Christ. In which case, why on earth does he open his argument with Persian Zoroastrian priests, the Magi, using astrology to, to find Jesus? And, and that, of course, is the basic question of, of the book. And you know, why are these people who are, you know, not of the religion that he's talking to introduced into the story? And, and you know, why don't you at least give everybody an idea of what magi were for people who aren't familiar? Because, you know, I wasn't. Growing up, I was never very religious. So I just knew about the three wise men in the song, you know, We Three Kings and mm-hmm. all uh, the different ways they were represented in pop culture, and I didn't realize, you know, that they, they were more than that. They were, you know, great scientists and magicians and, and well-respected in the courts. I just thought they were just three guys that came and gave them some presents. Because <laughs> there used to be three guys that used to show up at my house and just give me gifts. Really? Yeah, they were my uncles. Oh, uh, were they following a star? Uh, oh, I'd like to think so. They just <laughs> okay. they knew way before I did how much of a star I was going to be. Oh, well, that's nice. It's good to have the support <laughs> of your family, isn't it? Sure. Well, the, you're, you're, you're right. The Magi were, were very well-known in the ancient world, and they certainly would have been very familiar um, to Matthew's intended audience. Now, nowadays, you know, as you said, when we say Magi, you know, modern Western people, we don't really have any clear image of you know, who they were or what they were about. But, but for Matthew's intended audience, they, they were very familiar. Um, the, the Persian Magi came from, from right next door to Judea. I mean, the Judea's eastern border was with the Parthian Persian Empire. They were their um, immediate neighbors to the east. And the Magi were the official hereditary priesthood of the Persian religion. Um, we now call that um, Zoroastrianism. And um, that was their official heritage. And by the way, Tim, I wanted to compliment you. You actually pronounced Zoroastrianism correctly. I, I was, think you're one of the first radio hosts that's done that. I was worried about that all week. I kept going over it and over it, and I was like, I want to make sure I get it right. Oh, it was beautiful. Thank it was you. beautiful, and it, and it was a first. <laughs> Most of them kind of stumble through it. Um, but in, in their capacity as the official priesthood of this um, Zoroastrian religion, the Magi were, you know, the guardians of wisdom and knowledge, and they, they were really up on all the latest uh, science and math and astronomy that was going on in their time. So they were famous throughout the ancient world as, you know, cracking astrologers and as, you know, brilliant teachers who seemingly, you know, knew everything and could do wonderful things with what they knew. Now, that's, that's important to the idea that Matthew presents of them following the star. But I think even even more relevant to their appearance in, in the gospel is the fact that the um, the Persian Empire and the Parthian Persians were long-standing allies with the Jews and had been um, for a very long time. They they had long been united politically and re- religiously, and they were both very concerned with driving out the Romans because at the time Judea was occupied by the Romans, and they were under Roman rulership. And the Judeans weren't happy about this at all. They wanted their, their own king and their own dynasty. And the Persians had, had always supported them in this. And this was, you know, part of a lot of religious ideas that, that they shared. Um, 
So it, that gives you some idea of where the Magi were coming from. They also, as part of their Persian religion, they believed, um, how can I put this, that all of time, all of history, was just a, a staging ground for the ongoing battle between good and evil, and that it was all leading up to this great battle at the end of time where the forces of good would forever conquer the forces of evil and uh, usher in this whole new millennium of peace. Now, we're very familiar with those kind of ideas today. Mm-hmm. They're very much a part of Judaism and Christianity. They're very much a part of Islam as well. It's the apocalypse and Armageddon at the end of the world. But those ideas actually originated uh, in the Persian religion of the Magi. And as part of this plan, they believed that um, the good God was going to send these world saviors, these messiahs, these deliverers into the world at certain astrological intervals, and they would spread the good religion and do a lot of good. So the Magi used their astrology to try to predict when these world saviors would come. And that's entirely relevant to their appearance in Matthew's Gospel. Now, most of the Judeans of of Matthew's time would have at least had some idea of these kind of traditions. Nowadays, we all need, I think, a little bit of reminding. Mm-hmm. And, and it seems like uh, when you talk about uh, Zoroastria and some of the predictions he made, I mean, he predicted that there would be a Savior born, uh, and basically they were just following out that uh, that prediction, that that prophecy, uh, but to the point where they would actually, you know, go out and travel to find him, is that... Is that believable, or do you think it's just more of a literary device to get the point across of, you know, how important it was? I, I, I think you summed it up very, very well there. Um, I think it's a story. You know, I don't think Matthew's necessarily giving us a historical account. Um, this, this story in the Gospel of Matthew, most scholars think it was put in relatively late, maybe as late as 80 A.D., So it's not any kind of a a first-hand report, and he's not really, you know, giving us a lot of astrological or scientific details about the Magi, but he's telling a great story, and and he really knows his his audience. So I I think you're absolutely right. Um, What we can gather from the presence of this story in the opening of his Gospel is that, you know, these kind of ideas that the Magi represent were were very powerful and very important in Matthew's time. Because remember, in the first century in Judea, they're fighting to get rid of the Romans, and, and there were messiahs cropping up left and right all over the place. You know, Jesus Christ is the only one that's that's really lasted. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, and, and when you bring in a lot of... I mean, we want to make clear to people that are listening, because we have a very large uh, Christian and Catholic-based... Uh, around our studio here and in our listening audience. So we're not trying to uh, discredit the idea of of Jesus being the Messiah, but, I mean, we're just trying to put things into uh, historical context and and what was going on. Do you you find that you kind of have to add that caveat when you speak about this topic, that you have to say, you know, we're not judging here? Um, Well, I'm I'm really glad that you brought that up because that's absolutely true. you know, I'm not trying to debunk the Christian religion or, or any religion, um, for that matter. Um, personally, I'm a Christian, and I always have been. What I am trying to do is illuminate the stories that are in the Bible and put them in that, um, 
you know, broader historical context, the broader uh, context of a more comparative religious study. Unfortunately, you know, we've been taught this historical version of Christianity where it sort of, you know, suddenly appears um, out of the blue directly from God's lips to, to the people who wrote the Bible. And, you know, that's not really historically accurate. There's, you know, a lot of cultural influences um, that went into it, none of which I think, you know, diminish um, the power of the religion or, or the sure. power that it can have in, in people's lives. I, I think it actually improves our understanding of it. I think a lot of people, too, in, in these modern times uh, can accept the idea that a lot of what's in the Bible is um, – fable you know it's it's a story that's created to prove a point so it doesn't matter what the specifics are or who the characters are as much as it matters what the general idea is that gets across uh, the bible is a loose you know not a loose but a, a collection of you know moral guidelines and and religious guidelines and just a, a a diagram of how to live your life in this religion and the stories are just used to illustrate those points i mean that's the way that i've always looked at it well, I, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right there, and um, it is a very diverse collection of, of different kinds of writings, um, and it, it never really claims itself to be, you know, half as powerful as, as later religionists have made it out to be. You know, there, there is um, within not only Christianity, but within Judaism and, and within Islam, a certain level of um, what we might call bibliolatry, you know, a need, a need for an outside authority, a need for something powerful um, to refer to, and that drives people to exalt the Bible into being, you know, maybe something more than, than it originally was. After all, if, if a book was so important, um, I think Jesus would have spent all his time writing books. Exactly. He didn't write any books. He would have at least made sure they got it right, anyway. <laughs> well, he would have at least been the chief editor, you know. Um, but And that, that's not to be facetious on, a, on an important point. But, yeah, we do need to keep a rational perspective on the Bible and also realize that the people who wrote the Bible, you know, they lived in a very different culture from us. They have very different values from us. And I do think that it's inappropriate to assume, you know, this great um, inaccuracy on their part that, that's not our culture. That wasn't so much a part of their culture. Now, if, would you like to take any questions from the audience? I know it's kind of a loaded question when you consider the topic. but Oh, no, no, I'd love to take questions. Okay. That's fine. Well, if anybody has any questions for Courtney Roberts, author of The Star of the Magi, you can give us a call, 508 996 Why don't we take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll get more into the story, and we'll talk about what this star might have been uh, that led the Magi to Jesus. Okay. All right, so we'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Hi everybody, Tim Weisberg here from Spooky South Coast, wishing you a happy holiday season. And of course, now it's time to start getting that shopping done. We've had our Thanksgiving turkey, and now we've got to think about heading out to the stores and finding just the right gift. Well, you don't actually need to do that anymore, because through the wonders of the Internet, you can do all your shopping at home. And even if you'd like to give somebody something homemade, but you don't have the time to do so, well, Knitbits has you covered. If you just go to their website knitbits.etsy.com that's k-n-i-t-b-i-t-s dot e-t-s-y dot com 
you can find great homemade crocheted and knitted items for sale. Uh, right now on Knitbits, they have a crocheted cell phone holder for $3.50. They have crocheted baby bibs for $10 and even a complete baby set for $25. And if you go to the Knitbits site, you can also contact Knitbits there as well. If there's something you'd like to have made that isn't there or if there's something you like you'd like to see in a different color, just shoot them an email, let them know what you're looking for, and they'll be happy to comply. And, of course, all items on Knitbits' website is guaranteed. They have 100% positive feedback. Imagine the smiles on people's faces Christmas morning when they open up a homemade knitted item from Knitbits. So if you would like to find out more, again, knitbits.etsy.com. So from all of us at Spooky South Coast and from everyone at Knitbits, happy holidays and happy shopping. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. We are talking with Courtney Roberts, M.A., author of The Star of the Magi, The Mystery That Heralded the Coming of Christ. If you would like to join in the discussion, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. And, you know, we could get into a lot of stuff here uh, that might offend some people. And so I'll just say one more time, you know, we're not questioning the, the divinity of Jesus Christ. We're not questioning whether or not he was the Messiah. We're just presenting, you know, this story, uh, this argument for why the Magi were used and, and what the significance is and Courtney, of course, has done years of research. About how long did it take you to, to come up with all the stuff for the book, at least even the history part? Well, it, it was quite a process. And I, I think, as you can see, there's, there's a lot of research that goes into it. I actually uh, started doing this, this line of research while I was still pursuing my, my MA. I had to do a paper on stellar religion, and I wanted to write about... Um, the influence of um, astrology and cosmic speculations um, on the earliest Christian community. So naturally, I had to deal with the whole issue of the Star of Bethlehem. And um, once I started, you know, really looking into it, I actually did start to turn up a lot of ancient Persian astrology that was very, very relevant um, to the whole question, which, you know, oddly enough, um, Nobody who'd ever published on the star had had ever really considered before, which was kind of ironic in its own way. Um, so I, I did the paper, and um, you know I didn't get that great of a, a grade on it. But um, about a year and a half after that, I, I started the actual book and, and did the proposal, and that process took um, a solid two years right there so so all in all it was you know a good uh, three four years altogether and and what was the initial response uh to some other people that had done i mean i, I don't know how recent some of the other books are on the star but have you heard uh from any authors who have written on the subject to say you know that's an interesting new direction or, or is there well, any I, kind of negative backlash from uh, religious groups or uh, well it's, it's funny that you ask um you know one of the first people to um, contact me after the book was published was um, Dr. Percy Seymour, who um, 
is actually one of my my heroes. So I was really pleased. Um, he he did a book several years back um, on the Star of Bethlehem called The Birth of Christ, um, Exploding the Myth. It was published by by Virgin. And Percy Seymour is a fascinating character because he's an astrophysicist and has um, you know taught at the university level in in England for years. But he's really fascinated with astrology at the same time. So he's kind of a, a renaissance man in that respect, and he's published extensively on, um, you know, astrology and science and looking for an electromagnetic basis for cosmic influence. And, you know, as I said, he's, he's, he's one of my heroes, and he wrote me right away and was, was uh, you know, really supportive and, and congratulatory um, about the book and um, about my approach. In fact, um, specifically one of the things that he said was that... Um, other people who had, you know, researched this question had been quite selective in their research and in the, the areas they'd actually explored, and he felt like my research was, was actually much more thorough than, than what they'd done before. So I was, I was really pleased to hear that from him. Uh, well, what was the star, in, in your opinion? What have, what have you come to the conclusion that it was? I mean, obviously, you know, there's enough uh, research done to prove that this is more than just a literary device. This isn't just something thrown into the story. Um, there was a significance to to what it was. Well, yes, and um, we do have, as I said, um, remnants of the Persian astrological tradition that um, would have influenced the Magi. So I, I do want to say that wh- whatever I say about the star um, is based upon the textual evidence that we have of the religious astrological traditions of the Persian. And there's no one else that, that's written or published on this subject, as I said, that has actually considered that angle. I know it sounds really dead obvious, but generally what um, you know astronomers have done, because astronomers have been really keen on this whole you know topic, and there's been any number of books and papers and planetarium shows written about it. You know, generally what they like to do is look back at the time of the birth of Christ and kind of drop a laundry list of all the interesting astronomical phenomenon that was going on at the time. And, you know, there was quite a lot going on in the sky. There there always is. And, uh, you know, once they've decided on some particular phenomenon, then they kind of generate a whole religious rationalization about why this would have been, you know, meaningful to the Judeans of Matthew's time. And I just don't think that's a really appropriate methodology. They've all come out with completely different answers, as you might imagine, um, and none of them seems to have thought of something so simple as saying, well, what did the Persian Magi actually believe? Well, I mean, part of that, too, though, and this might be part of the reason why nobody's explored the angle before, is we have such a a snobbiness about today's science and about you know how people that lived 2000 years ago couldn't nearly as been as intelligent and as you know well researched as we are so therefore we'll just discredit everything that they have because you know uh, they thought that you know the cow was the one that gave them good tidings well i think you're absolutely right tim you know we do have um you know a bit of a bit of an attitude about our scientific superiority and i, I certainly found that um not only throughout the work of the astronomers, but of, of the theologians as well. You know, they just they don't have a good attitude about astrology. Consequently, um, they kind of assume there wasn't that much 
to it, and so they can, you know, just kind of make up these religious rationalizations. It's like there was a lot to it, you know. There were these very elaborate and beautiful cosmological systems that these these people had. There was quite a lot to it, and and um, it's well worth exploring. So that was the track that that I took in my book, and what I discovered, again based on the textual evidence that has come down to us is that the Persians indeed had a very elaborate religious astrological system. And it was designed around these ideas of, um, you know, the great apocalypse, the battle between good and evil at the end of time, and the idea that all of human history was slowly building up to this. Um, In the course of that, there's going to be these coming messiahs and these world saviors, so they wanted to time that out. And they also saw the rise and fall of dynasties and empires as part of this process because you know god would also send you know good kings and good dynasties they, they didn't have this idea of a separation of church and state by the way that's that's very modern their politics and their religion were were very much united um, especially when it came to the idea of a divine king and a righteous dynasty and remember they're trying to get rid of the romans and put you know a proper judean dynasty Um, on the throne, a a God-given dynasty. So, you know, they had this very elaborate worldview and a chronological um, system, and it was all tied into their astrology. All of these events, the coming messiahs, the rise of new dynasties and empires, and, of course, the ultimate battle at the end of time, they all occurred in astrological time with specific astrological indicators, and that was God's design. That was God's plan for the universe. It was it was very spiritual. It was very religious. Now, specifically, what were they looking at? Two, the two most important factors for the Persians were, number one, the millennium. They believed that um, all of history and time was organized in these discrete 1,000-year periods, millenniums. Now, we, we still believe that. Sure. Of course, and we still, particularly Christian time, we organize in millenniums, and, and it's the same thing. We, we got that from the Persians. Now, for the Persians, these millenniums were also astrological. Um, each millennium was ruled over by um, a sign of the zodiac or, or by a planet, so they, they used their astrology to measure the millenniums. Now, within the millenniums, they also used, and this is the second most important factor for them, the cycle of Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions. Now, what that means is that um, Jupiter and Saturn actually meet up in the zodiac every 20 years, like clockwork. They, they conjunct. They come together in the same sign of the zodiac, so that if you looked up at the sky during a Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, you'd actually see these two very bright, beautiful planets come very, very close together and conjunct, form a conjunction. And they do that every 20 years. Now, what the Persians had figured out, along with their, their friends, the Chaldeans and Babylon, they had figured out that as these conjunctions occur every 20 years, they actually form this beautiful pattern of interlacing triangles across the zodiac. It's just a, a weird coincidence, a combination of geometry and timing, but they trace this this compelling pattern of interlacing triangles across the zodiac. The other thing the Persians figured out was, 
you know, by their calculations, it took almost exactly 1,000 years for the entire cycle of Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions to trace these patterns through the zodiac and come back to the original starting point and start all over again. So they loved that because then they could use the Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions to figure out when the millennium began and when important events would, um, you know, unfurl and occur in the course of the millennium. So they, they used these two specific factors. And at the time of the birth of Christ, there was a coincidence of these two factors. And the Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions were about to finish up a millennium and come back to the starting point of the zodiac and begin a whole new millennium. And that's actually what occurs in you know, the Persian astrology that has come down to us. And in fact, if you read the early Christian literature, it's very clear that these people strongly believed that they were living at you know, the end of the age, the end of the old world, and the beginning of a whole new age, of a, of a whole new aeon. Um, you know, even in the words of Christ, they're, they're really emphatic about that. And, and those beliefs are still very much with us. So, in a nutshell, that's what the Magi were looking for. That's what they believed in. And, you know, we, we can definitely relate to that ourselves from what we went through. Uh, you know, in the year 2000, people felt they were on the, the verge of something else. Some of us thought we were on the verge of, you know, utter destruction. <laughs> But a lot of people also felt that it was, you know, going to be a, a glorious new era. And, well, I mean, time, time will tell. We're still very young into it. Some things never change. You know, we're still thinking about time and about the meaning of time very much along the same lines as the ancient Persians. We've just gotten so far away from it that we don't even realize that's who we got these ideas from in the first place. Yeah, and part of it, too, is, and you address it a little bit in the book as well, is there is kind of a, a, a Western bigotry against the, you know, the Persian belief system too, uh, or not only just the bigotry too, but just a, it's been kind of wiped away from our minds, and we don't really take it into account. Well, that's that's very important, you know, especially concerning, you know, considering the the current standoff between our our cultures and our nations. You know, here in in the West, we we traditionally revere the Greeks and and the Romans. You know, they, in our view of history, um, civilization begins with the Greeks and then passes on to the Romans and then passes directly to us. We are their heirs in this divine order of succession. But, you know, that is just, it's just a particular slant. It doesn't actually represent the reality of the transmission of culture throughout the ancient world. And, you know, people in the Middle East and Asia see things quite differently, but but that's our Western bias. Now, unfortunately, within this bias, we've also inherited the traditional enemies of our heroes. Because whenever the Greeks or the Romans tried to expand to the East, they always ran up against that great empire of the East, which, which was the Persian Empire. And they were always at war with the Persians and fighting them because as, as our Western empires pushed eastward, the great Eastern Empire was pushing westward. So they are very much um, the traditional enemies of our heroes and have become, by default, our traditional enemies as well. And, and that's really unfortunate because we actually got so much of our culture, particularly our, our religious culture, from them. And, and we don't even acknowledge that anymore. 
Well, I mean, we've seen it in over time many times where a, a certain culture will conquer another, assimilate some of their ideas, and then wipe away anything that doesn't, you know, jive with what they're trying to perpetrate. And so, you know, we say we've inherited the same enemies that they had too, but at the same time, we don't know about it because they've kind of suppressed it. They don't want us to know about it. Yes, we've adopted the Greek language, which just the Greeks just simply referred to them as barbarians. You know, anybody who wasn't Greek was obviously a, a barbarian and, and obviously didn't make any contribution to anything. And, you know, we have kind of unthinkingly taken on a lot of that way of thinking. And we have a real disconnect from uh, what our what our earlier culture was. Uh, you know, especially here in the West, we have a very big disconnect, whereas in the East, they're still very well connected in, into the same kind of life that they lived, you know, thousands of years ago. Yes, and as you can imagine, in the Middle East, they have a very different perspective on history, and they have a very different perspective on who was important in history. And, you know, by the way, it, when we're talking about um, the first century Judeans and the, and the Jewish nation, you know, the Greeks and Romans were not heroes to them at all. They, they hated them. They had been, you know, brutal foreign occupiers for the Judeans, the Persians were the good guys. The Persians were the ones who always saved the Judeans and helped them to fight off the Greeks and, and fight off the Romans. So again, when, when we read the Bible, and especially the Gospel of Matthew, we need to remember that. That's the context. Not our, not our framework, but that's the way the first century Judeans saw it. The Persians were the good guys. But isn't it true the Persians were the first enslavers of the Jews, in particular Nebuchadnezzar? Oh, no, 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 no. Nebuchadnezzar was Babylonian. Next Nebuch door to Persia, okay. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar was what they called the Neo-Babylonian or Chaldean Babylonian Empire. Correct. And you're absolutely right. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem in, in 586 B.C. I mean, destroyed it. They yeah. burned the temple to the ground. They desecrated They destroyed the city. They took, you know, anybody who was anybody into the Babylonian captivity. And um, there the, the Jews languished in Babylon for, for nearly 70 years. It was the Persians who liberated them. It was um, Cyrus the Great, who was the founder of the Persian Empire, who took Babylon. And he liberated the Jews, and he sent them back to Jerusalem with the funds and the protection to rebuild the city, uh, to rebuild the temple. And the Jews thrived and prospered as part of the Persian empire for centuries un until the coming of, of Alexander the Great and the Greeks. So the Jews had a tremendous debt to the Persians. I can honestly say that if it weren't for the Persians, I don't think we would be even talking about the Jews today. I think they could have well been wiped off the stage of history, just like so many other ancient peoples. It was the Persians who kept them alive. And for their own benefit, too, because, you know, the, if they worked with them and kind of indebted them to them. Uh, you know, you describe in the book how they were very uh, very symbiotic, the relationship between the two cultures. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the Persians were not just being charitable um, in, in setting up the Jewish state. Um, Jerusalem was an important um, border outpost and a, and a defensive outpost. The Persians were deeply involved in, in Egypt, and they needed a very stable temple and administrative center in Jerusalem in order to support their other colonies and their other activities. 
so you're absolutely right. The, the Persians were, were quite brilliant about this. Now, again, going back to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, when they took over um, the territory, just like when they took over Jerusalem, they destroyed it. And they sent the people into exile, and they would usually, you know, colonize with their own people to try to keep it loyal. And it was, you know, very violent and very traumatic. And that was the way the Assyrians had done it before them. When the Persians came into power, particularly under Cyrus the Great, he had a completely different way of doing things. He was incredibly humane. He sent captured people back to restore their territory, to restore their religion, to restore their homelands. Now, that was very humane and very far-sighted, but was actually really serving his own self-interest because he, he bought a lot of love. He got loyal colonies lining the outskirts of his empire, which was exactly what he needed. No such thing as a free lunch, I guess. Yeah, but you know, in doing all of this, when the Persians rebuilt the Jewish temple, they had a lot of input into, you know, how the temple was rebuilt and how the religion, you know, was practiced and and reconstituted in that new temple. And that's the period at which you get this great infusion of Persian ideas into Judaism and then right into Christianity after that. All right, well, why don't we take our last break of the hour and we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the birthday boy himself. We'll talk about Jesus and, and when the Magi came to visit him and what it all means. Uh, and we'll take your calls at 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. It's over. Not according to Santa's watch, it isn't. Now, come on, son. Stay out of this, Dad. Clark, I think it's best if everyone just goes home before things get worse. Worse? How could they get any worse? Take a look around you, Ellen. We're at the threshold of hell! Beaming from the studios of AM 1420 WBSF into the night and beyond. Here's more of Spooky South Coast. Welcome back into Spooky South Coast. Happy holidays once again to all of you out there from the Spooky crew. Tim Weisberg here, along with Matt Costa, the silent assassin, and science advisor Matt Moniz. And we are talking to Courtney Roberts, author of The Star of the Magi, The Mystery That Heralded the Coming of Christ. If you want to find out more about the book, you can go to her website, CourtneyRobertsHome.com, or TheStarOfTheMagi.com. Both are linked up to our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. You can click there. You can order the book, check it out, uh, find out a little bit more. And, and Courtney, you also do um, readings for people as well, right, on your website? Um, well, yes, I do. And they can find out more about that on, on either of those websites. And you also uh, you also talk a little bit about the role of astrology in sports. <laughs> so I just just real quick, I just got to get a prediction from you. Are the, are the Patriots going to be perfect? Are they going to go uh, undefeated? You know, I, I really hope so, but I'm just taking it game by game at this point. I, I really hope so. I'm, I'm, I'm big on it. And mind you, I grew up with season tickets to the Miami Dolphins. I had season oh, tickets sorry. to the 72 Dolphins. But I think the Patriots are the best team I've ever seen. Well, that's known as uh, taking it one game at a time is known as Belichickian astrology. Yes, exactly. I am a, a Belichickian devotee. And uh, I actually, I, one of my jobs, I have like a thousand jobs, and one of them is I actually cover the New England Patriots. Do you? Yeah, so maybe tomorrow in the press conference I'll bring that up to Bill Belichick. I'm sure he'll love that. Uh, very good. And, and you know, if, if he'd like any astrological predictions for the team, I am available. Okay, I'll let him know. I'm, I'm sure he will. You know, he'll and he'll pay you back with one of his famous B B P B and J sandwiches, <laughs> which is uh, all the rage out there now. 
But getting uh, getting back into the the subject of Jesus Christ, since we are coming up on on Christmas here uh, in just a couple of days, when the Magi came to visit him, uh, it's it's quite famous in the story that they brought him um, three gifts. Was there any significance to those gifts in terms of the uh, religious and, and astrological beliefs of the people of the time? Um, well, yes, and again, I don't think Matthew would have, you know, wasted the ink on them if he didn't have, you know, some sense of, of their importance for, for the people he was writing to. Um, and by the way, there, there were three gifts. Um, Matthew never says that there were three magi or three wise men. Um, he never says that. He just uses magi in the plural. The idea that we have that there were three actually comes from those gifts. The idea that one brought one gift and one brought another? Well, that's what we figure. (laughs) But we don't know. And Matthew doesn't really tell us. Now, the the specific gifts that he mentions, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh, yes, I I, I think on the one hand there's a symbolic importance, but there are also, you know, very valuable gifts. Obviously, gold is not only very valuable, but, you know, the purest, the, the brightest of of metals and worthy of, you know, a king of, of the highest sort of being. The myrrh and the frankincense um, are almost more important. Uh, first off, myrrh and frankincense, those are um, incense, and they're the kind of incense that you would burn at a religious service if you've ever been to um, uh, a Catholic mass or an Episcopalian, you know, high church kind of mass when they're swinging that... Um, Sensor full of incense, you know that familiar smell that comes out of it? That's myrrh and frankincense. Uh. Oh, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful smell. And in fact, it's a little bit mind-altering. So it does, to some extent, produce this kind of state of rapture or euphoria that we equate with a religious experience. Also, the, the myrrh and the frankincense, those are tools of priestcraft, of, of a high priest. So the magi would have them, and in presenting them, you know, to the baby in the story, it's a way of kind of a, anointing him for a divine priesthood. So yes, I think there's, there's a lot of meaning behind those gifts that, um, you know, give a lot of status and a lot of power to the Christ child as well. And it's interesting that you said that there's, you know, we don't know how many they were because we've just assumed that there were three based on the gifts. Um, but would it have been uh, conceivable to think that there might have been ones present that didn't give a gift? Uh, was it, or, or is there possibly other gifts that we don't know about that might have some sort of significance? Well, of course. You know, I think we have to assume that again. The story didn't actually um, go into the gospel until possibly as late as 70 or 80 A.D. Um, so we don't want to read it as an historical count. In, exactly. in fact, him, you know, to, to be perfectly honest, um, I'm not entirely sure that there were any magi that you know got on their camels and rode across the desert and, and came looking for the baby Jesus. Um, which is not to say that magi wouldn't have been very excited about the signs of the times, but um, we don't have any real history historical accounts of the Magi doing that sort of thing. And, and as you said in the book, unless you can find a gospel according to the Magi, you're not going to know. Yeah, so, you know, we, we want to keep an open mind. You know, maybe they did. Maybe there were a couple of them that were, you know, really that good at astrology that, 
that they did figure it out and come looking for the baby Jesus. But, you know, whether they did or didn't, whether that story happened exactly as Matthew tells it, um, there's no doubt that um, the Persian Magi and anybody that met them or studied with them, which, you know, included a lot of the ancient world, they all would have been very excited about the signs of the times, and they all would have been looking for this, you know, coming Savior, this coming Redeemer, and they all would have been very keen on overthrowing the Romans. So I think... There was a lot of buzz about these kind of ideas in Matthew's time and in Jesus' time, and, and that's why we still have that story in the Gospel. Oh, well, we'd like to thank you for joining us tonight, Courtney. Well, thank you. It's been great. And for anybody that wants to check out the book, StarTheMagi.com, CourtneyRobertsHome.com, and you can find out more about the book and about uh, readings and just more about Courtney, and, and maybe she'll make some uh, some football predictions for us coming up on the playoffs, too. Oh, definitely, definitely. I'd be very keen to do that. All right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, everybody be sure to check out the book. We'll be back in about six minutes. We have to take a break for the CBS News. On the other side, we're going to tell you about a couple of uh, fundraising events that are coming up that we want to make you aware of now that we are in the holiday season and hopefully talking about these gifts that the Magi presented to Jesus. They'll help put you in the giving mood uh, to a couple of great charities. And then we'll also talk to you a little bit more about some uh, just some upcoming uh, stuff coming on Spooky South Coast. So, Stay tuned for more. We'll be right back after the CBS News here on Spooky South Coast. Lost civilizations, extraterrestrials, myths and monsters, missing persons, magic and witchcraft, unexplained phenomena. For 58 years, Fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate is a factual magazine containing articles by experts in all walks of life and by others just like you who have had something dynamic, significant, and truthful to say. Keep up with the latest on all aspects of the paranormal. Angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To subscribe, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You asked for it, you got it. And this is Spooky South Coast, Volume 2. I can smell your I'm not afraid. You Good evening. Welcome back. Hour number two, well, half hour number three of Spooky South Coast because we are giving away at 730 to NFL football. And tonight is, oh, it's time for our weekly uh, 
Weekly Dead Air. Hang on. Tonight is the Dallas Cowboys and the Carolina Panthers. <laughs> Just in case uh, you weren't sure. You think I'd know this stuff. I'm the NFL writer for the freaking newspaper. You think I'd know like what the game is tonight. But alas, I don't. I'm, I'm sure Courtney does. She's a big football fan. I guess Courtney Roberts. Definitely make sure you check out the book, Star of the Magi. Uh, go to starofthemagi.com or go to spookysouthcoast.com and click on the link there. Because, uh, I mean, it's just, I, like I said at the beginning of the show, I didn't think I was going to want to read a book about astrology. And it was just a, it's a fascinating piece of, of nonfiction documentation of Mesopotamian history and Babylonian history, Persian history, and all right up and through until the time of Christ and even until today. So definitely make sure you check it out. We have a couple uh, notices that we want to make you aware of, of a couple of charities that are going on. Uh, the Tim Roach Family Benefit Event is coming up on Sunday, December 30th from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. at the Bay Point Country Club Pavilion. That's at Bay Point Drive in Onset, Mass., which, for those of you not from Wareham, Onset is part of Wareham, technically. I know we're going to have all the Onset callers calling up right now and saying, we have our own zip code, we have our own post office, our own fire district. All the people from Tesno are going to call. We're not in Onset. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen, but the Tim Roach Family Benefit Event will happen at Bay Point Country Club Sunday, December 30th, 12 to 5. Uh, food, live, entertainment, raffle, and auction. Donations made by local businesses and people in our community. Please come join us to raise money for this family in their time of need. Tickets at the door will be $20 and $10 for children under 12. It's sponsored by Touch by Angels, which is a, a organization uh, put together by two women that help people that are in need. If you go to uh, touchedbyangelsonline.com, you can find out more information. We'll put a link up on SpookySouthCoast.com as well for people. And also, another website we want to make people aware of when it comes to uh, charitable programs and what they do is the Dreams Come True program, which Matt Costa and I, we went to Wareham High School at the time when the Dreams Come True program was just getting underway. And it's, it's a fascinating program that's put on by a local businessman, uh, Chester Wisnowski who runs Chet's Plumbing and Heating out of Marion. It serves the whole Greater New Bedford area, so I'm sure everybody in our listening audience has, has called Chet to, to fix a, a drain or or uh, install something at some point in time. I know I have. Yep. And I know uh, I know you probably have, yep, too. It came, well. came down to uh, fix a uh, flooded uh, basement in the middle of the night for me. Really? Yes. That's outstanding. Oh, he, you know, he did the same thing to my parents as well. Yeah. yeah. So. There, there was He's a, a good guy. He is. Fixed a pump at my house. Well, there you go. Don't don't. I thought the water just ran through your house anyway. High tide again, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he has put together this wonderful program called the Dreams Come True Program. And if you go to their website, dreamscometrueprogram.com, you can find out more about it. But uh, basically what, what Chet does is he, and it all comes out of his own pocket. I mean, the guy has been tirelessly working at this for, for years, and he says all he wants to do is break even because he wants to give these speakers that he brings into the school systems a chance. Now, he's brought them into New Bedford schools. He's brought them, I believe, into Dartmouth schools as well. And, of course, they come every year to Wareham because that's his hometown and, and that's where he wanted to get the program going. Uh, he brings in uh, its a revolving process of different speaker groups, and they're all featured on the website, dreamscometrueprogram.com. But he has Bill Demby, who is uh, a war veteran who lost his legs and who had artificial legs created. He's in the DuPont commercial playing basketball. He also has Cisco Jeter, who is a uh, a paraplegic Olympian who's won the gold medal. 
Uh, he also has uh, Heather Whitestone, the Deaf Miss America from a few years back, the Nobody's Children program, and, of course, the Adaptive Ski program at Waterville Valley, which is kind of how Chet got into this whole thing. And The, the program itself, uh, if, if you have a chance these days to have any kind of speaker come into the schools, it's very difficult. Anybody that's tried to go into a school system and given a lecture or given a presentation can tell you how hard it is because of school reform here in Massachusetts, the amount of classroom hours that are needed. And that just shows you how much this program can affect people, that the schools will give up some of that time, uh, some of that valuable classroom time that they're required to fulfill and, and give it to this program because it makes that much of an impact on kids. I remember when I was in high school, kids would talk through assemblies and I was one of those kids. I'd talk through assemblies uh, a lot of the times, and they had some really strange stuff when we were kids, though, too. Like, I don't know if you remember the, the, the guy that brought in the keyboard, and he would just like do all these musical loops uh, and everything and yep. talk to us about life lessons while he's playing the keyboard. I kind of saw right through that one. <laughs> you know, I'm like, this dude just wants to get paid by the school system for coming and playing his keyboard for a little while. Yep. So, But Dreams Come True was a totally different experience. Um, first of all, I definitely paid attention to begin with because I knew Chet. So I wanted to, you know, hear what he had to say. But he brings out Bill Demby, and this guy just starts talking about his life and the stuff that he's experienced. And every kid in the room was paying attention. Every kid's, you know, rapt attention, listening, hanging on his every word. And when I saw that, you know, me being, you know, used, I'm looking around trying to find somebody I can talk to. And even I'm saying, hey, you know, me and my distracted nature, I'm saying, well, this 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 guy's really got something to say. And Cisco G to the next year, and then I graduated before I got to see any of the other programs myself. But, you know, you were there for, I think you saw the whole cycle, right? You you saw all the speakers that he brings in. I think I saw most of them, yeah. I remember most of them. And, of course, we've... America. You, you, I, remember, I remember meeting her when she came into the restaurant for lunch. How can lunch. you not pay attention to Miss, when Miss America's on the stage? No kidding. So... And how can you be Chet going up on stage to introduce Miss America? I mean, that's uh, that's going to be kind of daunting in itself. You know, nobody's there to see you; they're there to see the beautiful woman. <laughs> Wait, yeah. but uh, <laughs> but the program is definitely outstanding, and we want you to go to their website because they have a few things that they're doing to try to raise some funds to make sure that the program can continue. Uh, one of the things is they have T-shirts, uh, and you've probably seen Matt Costa all through the town of Wareham wearing one. It's a green. Uh, t-shirt with the Dreams Come True logo, which is the frowning face with the line through it. And their logo, uh, their motto is Dreams Come True, Think Positive. And that's written on the shirt. Now, I know a place that sells them uh, with all the money going to the program, and they fly out the door every time they're there because people, they love the design. They just love the message behind it. They don't even know what the program is, but they just love the message behind the t-shirt. So if you go to the website, you can check it out there and, and purchase the shirt. And also, they have this new venture coming out. Chet's very excited about this. He's been talking to me about it. And just the passion that he has for it, I think people are going to share once they find out what it's all about. It's called Dreams Come True Presents In Good Taste. And the idea behind it is it's going to be a cookbook that gathers together all the family recipes of people that live in the greater New Bedford area. Now, he's not looking for, you know, I make good cookie bars that I download. No offense to my wife who makes excellent cookie bars, but I downloaded this cookie bar recipe off the Internet, and here's my contribution. He's looking for the, the real family recipes, the old world recipes, the things that mean something to the people in your family. Because it's more than just a cookbook that you're going to open up and read and make some holiday dishes to share. It's something that's going to help keep alive those who came before you. And this is when I, see, when I hear him talk about this and I see his eyes light up, 
you know, I know what it means to him to keep the tradition alive. He, as a plumber, he has a couple of trucks, and his trucks are named after his grandmothers who have passed on, just to make sure that he keeps their names on the tip of people's tongues. So he can say, you know, all right, I'm going to go take Ethel down to do this job. So that somebody that you might not have thought about for 10 years otherwise, you know, you can keep their memory alive. And that's what this In Good Taste cookbook will do. And so he's looking for people to submit their uh, recipes, and there'll be more information there about the cookbook further along. But I want everybody out there that's listening that has one of these family recipes, that has something that they remember that their grandmother made or their mother made, and they think that, you know, they don't want to just keep the dish alive. They want to keep the memory of that loved one alive. Go to dreamscometrueprogram.com. Click on it there. Find out some more information about it, and make sure, especially if you have a child that lives in one of the school systems where this program is able to get into the schools and, and reach those children, donate something. Give them that recipe. Buy a T-shirt. Show your support. And when your kid says, hey, I had the Dreams Come True program come to my school today, talk to them about it. Find out what it's about. You'll find it's a message that's not just for high school kids either. It's something we can all learn from as well. So why don't we take our last break of the night, Matt. When we come back, we'll wrap things up here on this holiday edition of Spooky South Coast. The Grinch hated Christmas. The whole Christmas season. Oh, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. Was that Lowell, Massachusetts native Gary Hoy? It was. He, he played the anthem the other, a he's couple the, weeks ago at Chelsea. He's the ho ho He is. That's the name of one of his albums, right? Ho-Ho-Hoy. <laughs> great guy. Great guitar player. Outstanding. And he plays the same guitar all the time, too, which is rare. I don't know what it is. I mean, I, for, I forget what it is. I read about it online. but The only guitar you know is uh, the one with five buttons on it. The <laughs> red, green, yellow, blue, whatever it colors. <laughs> I don't know. I'm hoping to get Rock Band for Christmas, though, so I'll get to play with that Fender Strat replica that uh, comes with Rock Band. So if anybody, you know, wants to donate a gift to the Spooky South Coast, we'll we'll take Rock Band for sure. Speaking of gifts, speaking of gifts, what, what gift do you have? What gift do you most want this holiday season? I mean, obviously, we all want peace on earth and goodwill toward men and. We want everybody to have a safe and happy holiday season. But, I mean, one material possession, one, not even material possession, but one thing that you could have happen, what would you want it to be? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I won't, think you're shall- I won't think you're shallow if you say money. I won't think you're shallow. Uh, money's always good. Money, gift cards, it's always good. Gift cards, yeah. Even I, I don't know, spooky South Coast sweatshirt. Oh, that'd be a good idea. We should do that. <laughs> Matt Moniz, what about you? What would you like for Christmas? What would be one thing that you would want? In terms for myself personally? Just, sure. I'd like the the Razer um, thermal camera. Is that the one you were talking about, those like yeah. $7,000? Yeah. Well, we'll get the company to send us a prototype, obviously. Uh, I got their number and stuff. There you go. We'll harass them until they send us one. Me, I want one thing for Christmas. A red rabbit BB gun with a compass and staff. I'll shoot my eye out, man. <laughs> what I want is I want everybody out there that listens to Spooky South Coast each and every week, whether it be on WBSM, on WBSM.com, on SpookySouthCoast.com, or you know, downloading the podcast, I want your help for 2008. 
I think syndication. Well, that'd be great. But I know we've been on the air now for just about two years. It'll be two years next month. And I think that we've done a pretty good job of presenting some very interesting guests in the field. What I want is I want everybody out there that listens to this show, that enjoys this show, just help spread the word. Go online, go to message boards, tell them about our show, uh, my, you know, post MySpace bulletins, IamHaunted.com, wherever you're tied into. You know, just let people know about our show because we need to hear back from more of the community to help us decide where we should go with the show. We know who our audience is. We know what they like. We know, you know what they're interested in learning, but we want to expand that out. We want to bring in different approaches, different ideas. And so to do that, we need to get the story out to as many people as we can. Uh, Matt Costa, you look like you're scared to death of the idea of more people listening to the show. <laughs> but I think that that's something that you would like to see in 2008 right, for sure. And Matt Moniz, I know that you're trying to get out there more in the field, meet more of these people, work with more of these people. So the bigger the audience for you, the bigger the networking is to get out there and do investigations. Yeah, uh, that's, I'm, when I'm, you'd be surprised the amount of people that actually listen to the show that I've met out in the field. And I'm talking places like Kentucky and when I was in New Mexico. We actually do have a listening audience that is across the country. Across the world. I get emails yeah. from Germany, from Switzerland. I've gotten them from, we're pretty big in Europe. Uh, there's one guy that listens to us in Japan, but we're pretty big in Europe. And uh, one more thing, if I can just throw this out there. I want everybody that uh, enjoys the NBC show Journeyman to help support it and keep it from getting canceled. So I'll post some MySpace bulletins about what we can do to save it because we've got to save the show. It's a great save show. The it's a great show. Yeah, save the Vassars. And uh, we'll see if we can get Elliot Langley to come on the show as a guest. All right, why don't we take this call before we wrap things up for the holidays. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. All right. And my call is, I guess I'm one of the people. I listen to you every time you're on, but I never call, although I enjoy you. So here well, you go. There's a call. Thank you. How come you never called before? Because I just listen. I usually don't have questions. I have nothing to call about, but I do listen. But I guess you want people to know that people listen. Oh, we do. We, we Because we want to know you know, where people want to see us take the show. Is is there something that we haven't talked about here that you'd I like to hear? I love everything you do, and I believe me, I have no ideas or anything else i mean i love today everything's always different i love it all but i just never call so i guess you need people to call to say that they do listen and like it well well I mean, we're not we're not begging for friends <laughs> i don't no, want no, to no, so, so that the station knows that you know well thank you and i think that's probably what's really happening around here people do listen they love everything you talk about and they just listen i mean i, I never have a question i just am very interested in what's going on and i always learn something and i love hearing it well thank you very much Alrighty. And you have a great holiday season. You know what? And Merry Christmas to you and all your crew. Thank you very much. And to you as well. Bye-bye. That's nice. It's nice to hear when people, you know, they enjoy the program. But, I, you know, sometimes I do need a little boost. That's well, what sure. she's probably saying is we answer a lot of the questions that they're already thinking. We speak for them so they don't bother calling in because we're already asking them the questions they want to know about. But there's still, there's got to be some questions people have, some some ideas some places they want to see the show go i know we've kind of shied away from a lot of a lot of topics that we really should uh, you know you said you want to talk more about cryptozoology i agree right. i think we should and uh, we definitely will in 2008 let's squeeze in this call here good evening you're on spooky south coast how you doing uh, pretty good you know what i'd like to hear more about if What's you up? could uh, look into it is that area 51 that they've been talking about for years sure um because that's very interesting. I've read a little about it, and uh, there's not too much out there about it. So if you could talk more about that, I'd really appreciate it. 
tell you what, um, I happen to know Bob Lazar, who is the guy that uh, basically broke the story about it. Let me see if I can get him to do an interview. He okay, very that, rarely does interviews, but uh, let me see what I can do. That'd be great. All right, thank have you. Have a Merry Christmas. You too. Thank you. Sure, that's definitely something that we haven't covered that we should. Uh, Area 51 for sure. We talked a lot about Roswell, especially this year with the anniversary and, and you being down there and the big Roswell Smackdown we did. But Area 51 is something a lot of people make the mistake to do the same thing. Well, should also get a hold of Peter Robbins again. Remember, just recently he was down there, and he did some work with some people down there. Let me see what I can do. I'll dig up some stuff. We'll definitely put something together, probably for, you know, in February, March, after we don't have to worry about being bumped off for football, when we can really put something together. No, we'll have to worry about being bumped off by baseball. (laughs) Well, they're going to start in Japan, so I think that game is going to be played a little bit later, so we might have a couple extra weeks. All right, well, that about wraps things up here on this holiday edition of Spooky South Coast. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope that you all have a safe and happy holiday, whatever it is that you celebrate. And uh, we will talk to you in 2008. We're going to try to put together something for New Year's Eve, but if not, we'll definitely be back with all new shows coming up in January. And just some of the people that we have lined up are going to be fascinating. I don't want to give away too much because I want some of it to be a surprise. But if you ever have any suggestions, you ever have any questions or theories, if you ever want to get a hold of us, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. That email will go to all of us. We'll all get it that way. And we can help you as best we can. So... For the Silent Assassin, Matt Costa. For Science Advisor, Matt Moniz. I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular and have a safe and happy holiday. Talk to you soon. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy. And what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now. It seems, or at least until yesterday begins again, tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Look, I know the supernatural is 